Acts. So we're going to be in Genesis 35 today. Um, I think this is a really perfect text for uh, this regathering and something I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Uh, When I began to pray for this service and about this message, it was different than my usual preparation for each week. And and I'll be honest, everything about uh, my preparation, any pastor would tell you this, everything about my preparation for the past uh, 11 weeks has been really different. And yeah, it's been 11 Sundays since we were in this house together, um, like we are right now. That's pretty wild, isn't it, right? Since March 22nd. Uh, Of course, we're not 100% in the clear just yet, but we're in here, and I don't think it's grasping for straws to say that's a big step, and I'm thankful for it. Um, Of course, there's still a lot of unknowns. We're just walking by faith and going to make the best decisions that we can, and I thank God that we may have been out of here for 11 weeks, but we didn't miss a service. Um, seven of us met here uh, for uh, over a month and did online services, and then for since then we've uh, been doing outside. But all those different formats that we tried and the different things that we did to continue to minister to you all and minister to our community, um, they were really some of the most uh, surreal experiences I've had. I'll never forget them, and uh, I- I'm just thankful for the community that God has built, and I believe made even stronger than ever in this season. Um, but I got to tell you. When it was just me up here, um, it would take me about 15 takes just to get my first sentence out coherently. I would have to restart it over and over again um, when I would post things that weren't live. Um, But uh, prep for every service in this season has been so different, and and that's just considering with the different formats, much less the reason for it all. Um, With the pandemic and now the unrest that we've got in our country, um, you know, every pastor and every teacher has a different approach on Sundays, I'm sure. Um, You know, there are some seasons where, you know, I, I teach on a text for several different weeks because the conversation's too big for one Sunday. Um, some seasons, you know, I've got my ear to the ground and, and uh, try to be more cognizant of the current events. Um, you know, the Bible instructs pastors to preach the word, not for profit or for fame, but for the individual and collective good of all Christians. And, and we have the confidence because Hebrews 4 verse 12 tells us that God's word is alive And God's Word always has an appropriate application for any given situation. So no matter what you're going through, if you open up the Word of God, I believe that God's Word, no matter who opens it and how we open it, God's Word has something for all of us. The Spirit of God moves from page to anybody that reads it. It falls on the shoulders of pastors, though, to use their platforms and reach and proclaim and provide substantial, really spiritual meals to help strengthen every believer and unite the church. So with all that being said, I've been excited and nervous, pressured and passionate about this Sunday because I know my words are important, but I also know God's word is inspired and has something truly powerful for us and for our church. And I believe that today's inspiring and powerful word for us is found in Genesis 35, particularly in the first verse. And I don't even really need to explain the context, I believe, for this verse to speak to us today. But I would like to read that one verse before we get too far, much farther. God's Word says, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother, who also had been his enemy. So God's word to Jacob is, you're done running from your enemy. Now come back to Bethel and worship your God. For the past several seasons, Jacob, you've been on the run, and you had a good reason to run. There was an enemy out to get you. He had a price on your head, and you were scared, and you were distressed, and there was a reason for you to run. 
But that reason is over. Now your invitation, now my command to you is to come back to the house of God. Beth means house, El means God. Come back to Bethel and worship your God. Jacob had been in exile for 20 years, 20 years since he had been to this place. He'd been living and working for his father-in-law. He had amassed a very large family and a very great fortune of livestock and farmhands. Jacob had a falling out of sorts with his father-in-law, though. After 20 years, he decided it was time to go home. He figured that Esau hopefully had given up on that little grudge that they had and was hoping that he could get back without any trouble. So Jacob packs up and sets out to return to his homeland. He hears that Esau has become a pretty big deal. Esau was now a king of a land named Edom, one of the few nations in the day. And Jacob thinks to himself, okay, that's way down south. If I just mind my own business and I stay in my own territory, I'll be okay. And then Jacob hears that Esau has a bounty on his head, still going 20 years strong. And Jacob sinks in fear and disbelief. Jacob hears word in Genesis 32. The messengers return to Jacob saying, We come, we came to your brother Esau. He is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. That doesn't sound like a greeting party, does it? That doesn't sound like a, I'm glad to see you, little brother. And as you would expect, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, so he divided the people who were with him. Now, I'm sure he was greatly afraid and distressed, but what, what about the dividing the people? He was so distressed that he did something that we would consider very insensitive and very odd because it was very insensitive and very odd. Jacob divided his entourage into four camps. Originally it was two, but then it became four. In case he was to meet Esau in his traveling army, he thought, if I divide my entourage into different categories, Esau might get some of us, but he won't get all of us. Now that sounds like a noble idea until you start to see how he broke it down. The first entourage up front was a group of animals that would be a peace offering to Esau. And if Esau didn't accept them as a peace offering, if he just decided to kill them, then maybe it would be a buffer for the rest. The second of the entourage was his farmhands, his livestock, and his two mistresses and the two kids he had a peace with them. So Jacob's thinking, you know what, you know, at least if they get to the mistresses, they don't get to my wives. You know, that's very noble of him, right? until you get to the next part. Then Jacob had a third entourage, his least favorite wife. Can you have that right? His least favorite wife, Leah, and their seven kids. Well, that sounds very noble, Jacob. You put your wife behind your livestock and behind your mistresses, but not his only wife. Because his fourth entourage, way back in the most safe spot, was his favorite wife, Rachel, and their two sons, particularly his favorite son, Joseph. So Jacob figured that if Esau didn't accept the offering and started to plow through the rest, he had time to take his favorite wife and his favorite son and they could reroute in another direction and survive. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? And it's even more wild that Jacob had the audacity to ask God to bless his plan. Of course, wouldn't you? Listen to how Jacob prays this prayer, and it's so weird. Nobody talks like this. He says, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me. Oh, and not just me, but the mothers with the children. I mean, who talks about their wives like that? Who talks about their wives, right? 
wife, right? Jacob had four wives, or two plus two that he didn't claim as wives, but they were still with him. But who talks about their family like that, right? Instead of saying, God, I don't want them to take my wife or my kids, Jacob says, I'm really worried about me. At least he's honest, right? Next thing, this crazy thing happens. That night they come to a stream, and Jacob sends his family and farm over, but he stays by himself as if he was sending them over as guinea pigs, right? I mean, what a piece of work. Well, y'all go on ahead. I'll stay back here, and I'll spend the night, and maybe if Esau gets y'all, he won't get me because I'm safe behind this river. But that night he has a dream, but it felt so real, and maybe it was. That night he had an experience, a mysterious man who he did not know and could not identify came to him and challenged him to a duel. This mysterious man pinned him to the ground, and Jacob believed this was God in a body. This was God himself, and his hunch was right. At that revelation, Jacob begs that this man would bless him and protect him, and the man cuts loose of Jacob, but he knocks his hip out of joint. Jacob limps away, forever marked by this encounter. Jacob crosses the stream, passes through the four camps, and he falls on his face before Esau, ready to meet him man to man. Shaken by this encounter with God, Jacob bows to the ground and ready to accept whatever Esau chooses to do to him. He sees Esau running to him over the horizon, and upon coming to Jacob, Esau breaks the silence with an exclamation. He says, brother, he embraces Jacob. He weeps and expresses forgiveness and kindness towards Jacob. And Jacob is numb because he expected someone to hold a grudge. He expected someone that was still angry. Jacob begs Esau to take the gifts, but he refuses again and again. And the way Jacob's mind worked, he never worked. He never let anyone get too close to him. He was always so um, shields up, and he thought Esau could never actually love him or care for him. So he begged Esau, please take the gifts, and could you please leave? Esau wanted to join forces, even make Jacob a part of his kingdom. But Jacob says, you know what? No, no, no. He's ice cold. He begs him to go another way. And it's in this encounter that we see the heart of Jacob. In the entire story, Jacob struggles with a selfish and spoiled and entitled heart. He just couldn't let it go. Now, there are times that Jacob shows glimpses of getting it. He shows glimpses of having a change of heart, but his actions always suggest otherwise. He practically put his family on an altar in front of Esau. He really didn't care to make amends with Esau as long as he was in the clear. And then maybe we understand why that wrestling match happened. Maybe if it was really God in the flesh, he was trying to show Jacob that Jacob could do more than just care for himself only. But Jacob only saw God as a means of advancing himself, just as he had used him and evoked his name to deceive his dying father to trick the blessing from Esau all those years before. And here's what I really want to bring out to our attention today. Jacob had an anointing from God that he did not deserve. And it never truly fazed him how fortunate, how blessed, and how favored he was. Jacob just presumed it would always be there. He kind of took it for granted. But when he was wrestling God, you'll know the story, you know the story, God asked for Jacob's name. Of course, God knew his name. And more than that, God knew what Jacob's name meant. In the Hebrew, the name meant deceiver or trickster. It didn't dawn on Jacob why God wanted him to say his name. It could have been a confession of sorts, a chance at a new beginning. 
But alas, Jacob gets to clear of Esau. He breathes a sigh of relief. Finally, a chance to start life that he had put on hold for all those years. He finally had more money and more resources than he knew what to do with. He had a tribe that was a generation away from being a nation. But Jacob didn't process how blessed he was. He couldn't see it in the mirror. So after that conflict was resolved, Jacob is relieved and can finally start to make a name for himself after living under his father-in-law and in fear of his brother, he could finally enjoy what he had worked for, what he had tricked others into giving him. And the scripture says that Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths or barns for his livestock. And Jacob became a man of great renown and fame. And you would think the story would end happily ever after because doesn't Jacob, ha- I mean, wouldn't every other story end that way? But the story actually turns very, very dark. Disaster strikes Jacob's family. His daughter is abducted and treated horribly by a neighboring tribe. This leads to a civil war between Jacob's sons and another group. Jacob is mostly indifferent about the violation. His sons are indignant, and when their dad refuses to do anything to avenge their sister, they, make, they take matters into their own hands. Jacob's reason for not caring, well, his daughter just wasn't his favorite. And she wasn't even born to his favorite wife. And if that sounds appalling to you, it should. What's more appalling is that Jacob remained under God's favor and under God's grace this entire time. All the while, he didn't even consider God a bit. You know, Jacob would fit in well in today's religious culture, wouldn't he? He looked religious. He paid lip service to God. He even built altars and said the right stuff at times. He was very patriotic. He had a big family. They could line up for pictures, and they were all perfectly parading about in harmony, or so it seemed. He was very successful. He was very wealthy. He didn't want to take a stance against anyone or anything too publicly, even if it was someone that had done wrong to his family. Because he was worried about his popularity. He was worried about his image. Even if his daughter's image was tarnished, he would soon not rock the boat. He was more concerned about losing connections or influences in the land, how his sons made him stink in the sight of the other who's who's of the country. Yeah, he would fit in well in today's religious society, perhaps most of all because his faith was only skin deep. Jacob's name meant deceiver or trickster, most fitting because the greatest trick of all, he had, the dr- greatest trick that he pulled off of all was tricking people into thinking that he somehow was a devoted follower of the God of his father and grandfather. It may be even more of a trick that he pranced around with such favor and blessings overflowing as if he had tricked God into being so good to him. But we know the real story. Jacob had not tricked God into being gracious to him. God had chosen Jacob, not because he was better than Esau, not because he had done any great work or any great deed, but the exact opposite. God chose Jacob to demonstrate how radical his grace was. He chose Jacob because he didn't deserve anything great or even anything good. And that's how upside down the kingdom of God works. Jacob didn't deserve this favor. He didn't earn this grace. But God in his goodness, God in his overflowing kindness, chose Jacob just because he didn't deserve it. To make an example for Jacob for everyone that would come after him. He chose Jacob to show the world that he was preparing a redemption that would be accessible and available to anybody, even me, even our lost world today. No matter who we are or what we've done, it makes no sense, but that's the point. 
20 years earlier, when Jacob was beginning his exile, God had appeared to Jacob in a dream, a dream he soon forgot until God reminded him of it in this verse 1 of 35. Jacob may have forgotten his encounter with God, but God never forgot him nor the promises he made to him. Genesis 28 tells us that when God came to Jacob, he said, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised you. God has made these same promises to us. Perhaps we may have forgotten them. Perhaps we have never known them. But come on, in this season, in this time, it's time to remember them, isn't it? To remember and know how good God has been and how good He continues to be. Isaiah 35 is a verse that you should commit to memory from verse 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the stability of your times. You know, only in Christ, only through Christ will we ever find true justice. In this world, there is injustice and imbalance. Fairness went out the window in Eden and the world has been unraveling ever since. The story of Jacob is one of constant trickery, push and pull of this world, because he was always trying to shift things into his favor. He, has never, he never stopped and realized the favor he had with God, how that was actually what was getting him through life's ups and downs. Listen, if God's people would ever let, what, what, lever, let that be what defines us and directs us, we could actually usher in his kingdom into this world, brick by brick and life by life. We'd be less worried about self and more committed to others towards spreading the favor and grace of God that He has shown us in this time to those in the world that yet don't know it and are suffering apart from it. Listen, we know this. God is our stability always. In this season, we've witnessed that more than ever, haven't we? We prayed for it, we sought after it, we were, and he responded, and he continues to respond. You know what's holding not just our nation, not just our churches, but our world together? It is the stability that only God brings. With his favor and grace that we will never deserve. And that's why I believe 35 verse 1 is so appropriate for us right now. God says, you know what has brought you through this. It's time to return to Bethel. It's time to return to the house. There's nothing more important. There's nothing that your soul demands more. So we should listen to our soul's cry. We should listen for God's call because they bring us to the same place, to an altar. A place of thanksgiving, a place of worship, a place of surrender, a place of devotion. All those years when God first came to Jacob, he called that place Bethel, and he vowed to return again one day. And 20 years later, God reminds him of that vow. And today, God reminds us of the promises he's made to us and all the vows we've made to him in return. May we say like Jacob said in verse 2, he said to his household, to all that were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourself. Change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. May we say that as a collective body and as individuals in our families. We 
should say today, God has been faithful to me. God has delivered us from a great distress. And though there may be more great distresses on the way, it is God who will lead us into them and out of them. So it's time to put away our idols. It's time to put away those things that we put before Him. It's time to purify our garments and change into something ready to serve the Lord. Because what God has done should not go unnoticed. May we do like Jacob did and obey and approach God, not just on Sundays, but every day. Down at verse number 9, we see that Jacob arrives at Bethel and God appears to him again when he came to pat him around and God blesses him. And listen to this conversation that God has with Jacob. Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and company of nations shall come from you or proceed from you. Kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac I give to you. Your descendants after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set a pillar up in that place where he talked with him. A pillar of stone. He poured a drink offering on it. He poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of that place where God spoke with him. Bethel or the house of God. Jacob set up a pillar as a reminder, as a memorial stone for what God had done for him in this season. May we set up one today for what God has done for us in this season. May we never forget how faithful God has been, how faithful God always is. God calls his name Israel and told him that a kingdom would come through him. Israel means prince, as Jacob would one day be the first, would be the first of many princes to come and bring in a new kingdom to the world. Israel's wouldn't just be a, a name for Jacob, but all those that would be a part of this nation were called the people of Israel. But there's more to this story. Because through Israel comes Jesus. Israel was a prince of God, but Jesus is both king and God. He wasn't just God's chosen servant. He's God's only begotten son. He didn't receive and consume favor. He gave his life to bring favor to all that would believe in him. In Christ, we have been given a new name, Christian. And through us, God is building a kingdom bigger and better than our flesh and blood, but of the Spirit. And our allegiance is to Christ alone, and we wave His flag, we raise His anthem, we bring Him glory over and against anyone of this world. We've been given favor, and we know we aren't deserving of it. We sing amazing grace in honor of our King. We serve in that same grace to love and reach our brothers and sisters of every tribe, every tongue, every color, every creed, because we know this kingdom we've inherited is not just us alone. Its doors are wide open to anybody. Today, we haven't just heard God call us to come back to church. We've heard Him give us a call to be the church and bring the church back to the world. To those who have drifted, those who are unreached, those that are hurting, those who are wondering, those that are oppressed and in need. And church, right now the world does not need to read or hear about God's love and our love. It needs to see and feel God's love through us. We've, had to, we've got to say it and post it long enough. As we get back into our world on mission, it's time to let God's love be seen and felt through us. Because actions always speak louder than words. Just like God's actions speak louder. He's been faithful to us, hasn't he? He has been so good. 
Perhaps he's demonstrated his especially great faithfulness to you. Jacob finally realized how good God had been to him, how undeserving he'd always been of the favor and providence. Jacob would become thankful for that limp he was left with after that wrestling match. Because that limp, with every step, his limp reminded him, if not for God, he wouldn't be able to take another step. It reminded him of how faithful God had always been and always would be. As we sing of God's faithfulness and the favor he has given us, would you join me in vowing and committing to seek him with all of our heart, to purify ourselves, to turn away from any idol that may have taken influence over us, to help us live up to our name and identity in Christ, to not just come back to this place and to this altar, but bring God back to our world because we need him now more than ever. And we that bear the name Christian have a gift and a blessing that we should not take for granted. We vowed to come back stronger than ever, and now we are back. Are you ready to live up to that vow, to that promise? Because believe me, God has lived up and will always live up to his. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this reminder of your faithfulness the goodness you've shown, and the favor you've shown. Lord, may we not take for granted or take lightly. Lord, I confess I have been very spoiled and very entitled in my life. This season has reminded me just how good you are and how good you always will be. God, as we sing this song about your ever-present faithfulness, I pray you would sweep through this room and remind our people that you love them and that your favor for them and on them is not based on what they have done, but based on who you are and how good and how great you always will be. Lord, we don't just receive it. We vow to reflect it because you have been so good to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.